This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. What is the state of the family in the United States and across different socioeconomic groups? What's the good news? What's the bad news? And what does the church need to pay attention to? These and other questions we'll touch on today with our guest, W. Bradford Wilcox, Director of National Merit Project at the University of Virginia, Professor of Sociology at the University of Virginia, Visiting Scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, and a Senior Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. Professor Wilcox's research has focused on marriage, fatherhood, and cohabitation, especially on the ways that family structure, civil society, and culture influence the quality and stability of family life in the United States and around the globe. Brad Wilcox, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Len. Thanks for having me on. So your research, as well as the, the project you direct, the National Marriage Project, focuses on the study of the family, including marriage and parenting. So I was wondering if you could tell us some of the prevalent trends that have caught your eye in recent years. Well, you know, I think there's there's bad news out there, but there's also good news. It's important not to lose sight of both. I think the bad news in America and the good news in America. Uh, the bad news is, as probably many of you know, you know, so listening to the podcast, is that, you know, a lot of kids in America will be experiencing family instability, a divorce, a breakup, some other kind of turmoil that, you know, can send their world into chaos and can have just a dramatically negative outcome for them. Mm -hmm. So concrete, what we're seeing is that today about one in two kids will spend some time outside of an intact married family. We also know in terms of the bad news is that this family instability and family chaos is much more common for Americans who are in the working class and Americans who are poor. And so we see, and this is true not just for African Americans, but for Latinos and for whites as well, that if, if mom and dad don't have a college degree, if mom and dad are not stably employed at one point in their lives, they're much more likely to break up and sort of not to be there consistently uh, f- for one another and for their children. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a quick summary of kind of the bad news that's sort of come across the American family really since the 1960s. The good news, though, is that particularly among college-educated and more religious Americans, I think we have seen uh, kind of a new appreciation for marriage and family stability, and we have seen basically a stabilization of family life. Hmm. So, for instance, divorces come down dramatically since the 1980s. At that point, about one in two marriages were ending in divorce, and today it's probably closer to a little bit more than a third of first marriages ending in divorce. And again, for Americans who are more educated and more affluent, uh, what we're seeing is that there's more marital stability. So divorce rates have come down the most among more educated and more affluent Americans. And I think there's been kind of just a recognition, often more implicit than explicit on their part, but there's been a recognition somehow that, you know, it's better for them, you know, it's better for their 401k, for their house, right. their future. Right. Um, and it's better for their kids, you know, for their kids' ability to go to school like Notre Dame or the University of Virginia. Mm-hmm you know, if they can manage to kind of keep it together and go the distance as a married couple. So that, that's kind of good news. And it's also, of course, the case that in these families, you know, in these intact married families, 
we're seeing dads being much more engaged in the lives of their kids than was true, you know, two or three generations ago. Hmm. So, you know, we're living in kind of a weird world, a kind of a two nations world where more educated African Americans kind of, I think, come to sort of see after the craze of the 60s and 70s, again, kind of the importance of marriage and family stability for themselves and their kids. By contrast, and this of course is the more tragic note here, poor working class Americans have become more disconnected from the reality of, of marriage and the reality of family stability in ways that put them at a disadvantage, their kids at a disadvantage, and also their communities at a long term disadvantage. So that's sort of where we that's where we sit right now when it comes to marriage and family in America. So following on what you're pointing out that sounds like the majority of the bad news has to do with these working class and poor families where there's more instability and therefore the kids are sort of absorbing the consequences of that relative to the more college-educated, more affluent families. Would it follow then that there's a sort of generational consequence to this, that the whether it's the income gap or the quality of life gap is being passed on through these kids of the unstable households who happen to be coming much more from the working class and the poor? Yeah, that's true. What we're seeing basically is that, you know, cycles of family instability basically leave a lot of kids trapped um, in, uh, in poverty or in some kind of lower income you know, strata as they, mm-hmm. as they get older. And this is particularly true when you think about how these trends are playing out at the community level. So kids who are growing up in, in neighborhoods with lots of single parents, for instance, are much less likely to realize the American dream than kids who are growing up, I mean, in neighborhoods with lots of, of two-parent families. Mm-hmm. And we have seen, you know, in, in our work that the share of parents in your neighborhood who are who are married is one of the better predictors of your own odds of making it up and out if you're a poor kid in America. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a way in which a lot of these trends are reinforcing, but of course, it's important to note that these are sort of general statistics, right. and there are exceptions in all of these trends. Kids who are making up and out and forging strong, stable families as adults, and also, of course, kids who are being raised in more affluent and privileged families and neighborhoods who end up in distress, you know, who are failing as, as adults. I see. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Dr. Brad Wilcox, professor of sociology at the University of Virginia and director of the National Marriage Project. Now, you're especially interested, as I understand, in the contribution families make to the economic welfare of individuals and society. So could you tell us a little bit about how you study that? and what you found from that study. Sure. What I do is work with a number of colleagues in economics, sociology, and psychology to figure out how kids and adults benefit from strong and stable families, both at the individual level, but also at the community level. And what the research that I've done and my colleagues have done tells us is that kids who are being raised today in stable married families are much more likely to be flourishing in school, for instance, Mm. and they're also more likely to be avoiding real hurdles to their progress. I mean, things like obviously incarceration and uh, teenage pregnancy. So for instance, what the research tells us 
is that boys who are raised in a married family with their own father are about half as likely to end up incarcerated um, Hmm. to be in jail or in prison by the time they're 30 compared to boys who are raised um, with their unmarried parents. And girls are about three times more likely to end up as teen mothers being raised outside of an intact married family compared to girls who are being raised in an intact married family. It gives you a sense of sort of how these things play out at the individual level. But we're also seeing, too, that at the community level, the communities with more married parents tend to have parents who are more active in their local schools, tend to enjoy much more safety and security on their streets, you know, less crime, less violence. And they also tend to enjoy much higher levels of, of economic growth over time. So the point is, there's just kind of a way in which strong families at the neighborhood level have a positive ecological impact on the larger side that we don't always appreciate today. Is the major difference between intact family and non-intact family? And as a follow-up to that, I want to ask, like, as the definition of marriage in the United States especially has changed in the last half decade, legally and otherwise, do you see any qualitative differences between what we would describe as traditional families or what we have described as non-traditional families? Sure. The research that I have seen suggests that particularly if we're heterosexual families, Mm -hmm. intact married biological family is the best one for kids. There's something about having a biological connection with your kids that is linked to the best outcomes, like both in terms of parents identifying with their children and, and the kids identifying with their parents. Yeah. And then also just in terms of having that sort of history from infancy with the child is linked to the best outcomes that we see you know, across a wide range of outcomes, particularly in terms of the psychological arena. Now, when it comes to sort of same-sex families, I think the jury is still out on that. We don't really have a research that has been tracking kids in same-sex families from infancy kind of across adolescence and into young adulthood. So, you know, we don't know precisely how they're going to fare when we have better data. My guess is that they will look a lot like kids from from step families because what you have obviously in many cases in same-sex families is one parent who is the biological parent Mm -hmm. and one parent who is the social parent. And so that's kind of where I guess those kids will come out. But as of right now, there's kind of competing studies that will tell different tales about same-sex families and children. And we have yet to kind of see that kind of gold standards that would give us, I think, the most accurate picture of how these kids will fare. Okay. Well, let's let's bring religion into it a little bit, if you don't mind. So I know you've commented on the work of, say, Robert Putnam, who has pointed out that America's churches have grown weakest in some of the communities that need them most, in particular going back to the the poor and working class communities across the country. And I know in some of the the articles you've written, work you've done, you've identified at least four factors that stand out in understanding the emptying out of the pews in these communities. And you've named money, TV, sex, and divorce. I don't know if you can comment on all of that, but how does this play out in the emptying out of the pews in these poor and working class communities? So, you know, I've been looking at the the connections between class and marriage and family for about a decade now. And one of the most striking things that I came across when I first started doing this research was that I found that in the 1970s, working class Americans were the most likely to be in church on a given Sunday. Hmm. Um, but by, you know, kind of by today, it's college educated Americans, surprisingly, you know, you might think they're the more secular crowd. Right. But in, in terms of actually who's in church on Sunday, it's, it's the folks who've got that college degree. They're hmm. much more likely to be in church. And it's particularly relevant for the Catholic Church, where we've seen a real exodus, unfortunately, in the Catholic Church 
of working class Americans from, you know, from regular church going. And by contrast, plenty of college educated Catholics are in the pews in a given time. And this unfortunately is true for my church in, in Charlottesville, Virginia as well. I mean, tons of more educated and affluent Catholics in my church. And there's only one guy arriving on a motorcycle at St. Thomas Aquinas um, <laughs> with, a, with a leather jacket yeah. or a jean jacket. You need more for that, that matter. So, yeah, we need more guys arriving to, to mass on yeah on motorcycles wearing, With, a, wearing yeah. a leather jacket. Springsteen is like way um, underrepresented <laughs> in American Catholic churches, is what you're telling me, which is terrible. That right, that is true. But what this means, of course, is that unfortunately, working class Americans, especially in the last 25 years, have become disconnected from one of the most important institutions for you know marriage and family. What my research shows. What other people's research shows is that people who attend church together as a couple mm-hmm. are much more likely to be stably married, that is to avoid divorce, to be happily married, and even to report the most satisfying sex lives. Hmm. Um, so the so church has a lot going for it. A lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot, I think it's underappreciated. That's but, like prime advertising material there for the churches, right? Like improve right. your sex life, less, come to less, church together. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Less divorce, uh-huh. happier marriages, and better sex. What you know? What more could you want from <laughs> right. an institution? Um, yes, yeah, so it's underappreciated. But I think that's sort of what makes sort of the working class exodus all that much more poignant here, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, I think that working class exodus is linked to a couple of things. One is that as working class Americans have been kind of caught up in the family revolution of the last half century, they are experiencing more divorce, more single parenthood, more cohabitation, and they often, I think, feel awkward about attending church. Um, They feel like they don't fit in, they don't belong for reasons related to their family situation. That's one part of the story. A second part of the story, I think, is that pop culture has become, in a sense, better, more entertaining, more distracting, and I think it leads a lot of Americans, particularly Americans who are less educated, to disconnect from both their religious and their secular local community institutions. You know, that there's just sort of, you're just going to be watching TV or now sort of looking at your smartphone rather than kind of getting involved in some local group like the Elks, you know, back in the day or your right. local church community. And so it's kind of a short-term, long-term thing there that, that ends up hurting them because those is, your smartphone and your TV are not going to be there for you, obviously, when you're when you're lonely or you're sick or you're, or you're down and out in some kind of way. Uh, the third thing, of course, is that the sexual revolution has made, I think, church seem much less appealing with it, right-minded, you know, for a lot of adults, a lot of young adults especially. And so there's a tension between what the culture is telling us about things like sex and what the church is telling us about those things. And so I think some people are just deciding not to, to plug into a church community, you know, for, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have seen dramatic economic changes where particularly working class men, uh, men who don't have college degrees, are more likely to sort of be facing stagnant wages since the 70s and also to be experiencing greater spells of unemployment or underemployment. And so, you know, they're just economically disconnected. I think, again, they sort of, there's a sense that I'm not a decent provider, and that somehow, I think, enters into sort of like how much they feel like they can kind of plug into a church community. Because I think Churches unwittingly kind of sort of seem to hold themselves out as places where you kind of got your stuff together. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, where you're like, you know, you're married, children, you've got a job, kind of doing everything right in the classic middle class way. And if that doesn't describe you, if your life is 
coming apart at the seams. Unfortunately, I think today in many churches you don't feel at home, particularly many sort of middle-class or upper-middle-class Catholic churches. So, mm-hmm. again, we've kind of, in the Catholic Church, done a bad job of sort of ministering to and reaching out to Americans who kind of are not on that more successful track. And one, of course, concrete example of that is, you think about kind of young adult ministries today in the Catholic Church, really targeting young adults who are kind of on that college track. I mean, here in Charlottesville, where I live and work, we have, at my university, UVA, literally dozens of ministries for Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, serving young adults at UVA. (laughs) Yes, there's a certain type of student at UVA, and and this is reinforcing what you're talking about. Correct. And so their religious needs are being are being met at UVA, but there is really no equivalent Catholic or Protestant, not to mm-hmm. mention sort of obviously Jewish, Muslim, or whatever, mm-hmm. ministry serving young adults, you know, outside of the UVA community within like 15 miles of my house in right. Central Virginia. So what that means practically, right, is that a lot of young adults are working as baristas or working mm-hmm. as tenants at, at Walmart or, mm-hmm. or working at McDonald's. There's no institution, no ministry serving them and their special needs. And so surprise, surprise, they hit... 35, and they've got no connection to a church community, whereas many of their college-educated fellow, you know, citizens um, have actually managed to keep in touch with and maintain their connection to a church community. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Dr. Brad Wilcox, professor of sociology at the University of Virginia and director of the National Marriage Project. Now, there's obviously, especially from a Catholic standpoint, a great irony, sad irony in what you're describing there, that churches come to be seen as a place for those who have it together. And even as you were describing your own campus community and the surrounding community, that this preponderance of resources given to those who are students at UVA have had it together most likely in a lot of ways to get there and are being well-educated and prepared for success in life while there, whereas those who are not in that community are facing a dearth of resources from the religious communities in terms of building them up. The irony, of course, is that for Catholics, you start off uh, Eucharistic liturgy by confessing out loud that you don't have it together. So maybe here's a a little bit of a follow-up. Like, what would you say or what have you seen that the church would need to do better to serve working-class people and families, whether it's young adults or others? Yeah, well, I think part of the story here is to have more ministries sort of targeting the particular needs of working class and poor families. And so I'm mm-hmm. thinking of like having a, a jobs ministry where you have opportunities to connect to jobs through parishioners, you know, in the church or in the churches in the, in the local area. You know, so you're basically doing a lot more both electronically and in person to help connect people to jobs and sort of see the church as an opportunity to promote not just the spiritual well-being of people, but also their economic well-being. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is to have a strong men's ministry that would sort of target ordinary guys and, you know, that might revolve around watching basketball or football games to an extent, as well as listening to someone at your conference, you know, recently in South Bend talking about like some kind of like steak cookout that was being held at a okay. public park and, yeah. and was targeting men. But just, to, but just to be sort of serious about kind of targeting ordinary guys and the kinds of things that they like to do, meeting them where they're at, but then smuggling in some kind of message about faith or family life that can be helpful to them and to their families and communities. I think that's part of the answer. But I think more fundamental, I think it's thinking about how the, the liturgy speaks to working class Americans and how the preaching speaks working class Americans, Mm. particularly working class men who are the most disconnected from 
from churches. And, and frankly, my intuition here is that I think preaching that was more likely to focus on the one hand, sort of how tough life is, how much we make mistakes, how much we fall short of the moral life, so to speak, sure. on the one hand, but on the other hand, to sort of clearly articulate a clear and compelling vision of what the good life looks like, and a real challenge to people in the pews to raise their game a notch would be helpful, and to do less therapeutic preaching, and to do less preaching that's simply reflecting on theological truth divorced from any real application to ordinary. So I think since the 70s, a lot of preaching and teaching has been about God's love and about making people feel good and about <laughs> well, I don't even know when I'm listening to you know homilies uh, from from the pews. But the point is, it's just it's it's not particularly relevant. It's not particularly challenging, and I mm-hmm. think that leaves a lot of for some reason a lot of working class folks, particularly working class men, I think like this just doesn't speak to me, and and they're less inclined to. They've got better things to do with their Sunday mornings than to to go in and listen to homilies that really don't say very much mm. and offer them a lot of platitudes that aren't particularly helpful. Mm. Yeah, and, and I find myself wondering, you know, how how well-suited or how how much our preachers would be able to do that in terms of, you know, I go to a, a parish that's just filled with families and most of us there, you know, our realities, both our joys and our struggles come in and through family life or related to family life as spouses, as parents. And the challenge of the person who's preaching is that they're not, that's not their reality. And so trying to speak primi- you know, primarily to a congregation where that is their reality, there's a huge gap to get over there in terms of, do you reduce family life? Do you idealize family life? How can you get your mind and imagination into the nooks and crannies of family life, which isn't to say priests can't do that, but it, sound, it seems like a, a challenge as I've reflected on it. I don't, know, I don't know if you've thought about that at all yourself. Yeah, it is a challenge, right? And I'm not actually, what I'm not asking is for priests or anyone else to get up Sunday after Sunday talk about marriage and right. divorce and sex and, and, you know, whatever. I'm In fact, please don't. Asking them, <laughs> right, asking them to talk more about just, you know, things like forgiveness, things like, you know, gossip, things like anger, things like the sense of, of loneliness that affects so many adults today yeah. in America. So uh, just to be more real, but also to sort of challenge the people sitting in the pews, again, to raise their game when it comes to things like the Beatitudes. Mm. There's a lot there that can speak to people and, and recognizing that, you know, only half of Americans today are married. You right. know? And so as much as I'm a big fan and booster of marriage, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, a lot of people inside the church and out are, are not married and kind of we have to speak to their experience as well. But again, I think the challenges for, for priests and pastors and deacons and others is to be more real and to be, you know, using real world stories that they have, you know, they have garnered and collected from their own pastoral work that strike a chord in mm-hmm. people's hearts and minds. And that's what we need and what we're looking for. And, and, and then, you know, as they address things like maybe a young man struggling with pornography or, you know, maybe a middle-aged wife who's really frustrated with her husband's depression and thinking about divorce, you know, mm. Those real-world stories, I think, will speak to people sitting in the pews, but they can also, of course, talk about things like office gossip or other things that speak to people who are not 
in, you know, a married family with children, you know, yeah. so there are a variety of ways they can kind of, I think, be more real in terms of, and so being more real, they'll help both folks who are married and those who are not married as well. Okay. Well, before we run out of time, I do have to be sure to request one thing from you, and it's this. So I've read a, a number of your articles, and not only do I find your articles really informative and engaging, but I find that they consistently have great titles. And one of them in particular I have to ask you about, which was a 2011 article that appeared in The Atlantic with the title, How to Keep Parenthood from Making Your Marriage Miserable. So maybe as a parting word, can you please tell us how? How to keep parenthood from making your marriage miserable? Well, I think there are, I guess, three things that I would say about that question. Okay. One is, I think, to recognize how important your own marriage is for the welfare of your kids. Mm. And so to recognize that you, you need to sort of steward your own marriage because you're providing a model of love for your kids that will, or, or not, <laughs> right. that will sort of shape how they approach romance and love as adolescents and then adults. Yeah. And so it's important just to recognize that your own marriage needs to be cultivated and cared for, not just for the sake of your own marriage, but for the sake of your kids' future right. married lives, if that's what, you know, they end up going on to, to marriage down the road. And the second thing kind of in that spirit is to really set aside time for some kind of date night. And it could be something, you know, really cheap and easy, like heading out for a, an ice cream cone or doing some kind of, you know, maybe playing tennis or maybe if you're like inclined to dancing, you know, mm-hmm. some kind of local you know, dance group um, or something that's, you know, more exotic, you know, yeah. I don't know, you know, whatever that might be. But just sort of taking time away from the kids where you're cultivating sort of that spark that first drew you together as a couple is really important, I think, for, for couples. And our churches um, can I, provide babysitting ministry, just a suggestion here. But, okay, number three. <laughs> that's right. But the third thing, too, is sort of recognizing kind of the importance of praying together as a couple mm. and having some kind of religious life that um, you share as both as a couple but also with your kids. And I think it's certainly the case that family life can be extraordinarily difficult, and there can be a lot of friction and a lot of conflict in any ordinary family between spouses, between parents and children. And so having kind of opportunities to pray together and to express concern for one another in the context of saying the rosary, for instance, I think is a way of helping parents and helping kids, you know, see how much they care for one another and allows them to sort of see beyond the frictions that are a normal part of family life. You've been listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We've been joined by Dr. Brad Wilcox of the University of Virginia. You can find out more about his work and follow up on his articles, especially at family-studies.org, family-studies.org. Dr. Wilcox, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure for having me uh, on. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. 